Hello everyone. This podcast is part of our class and mass claims series, covering a range of business sectors, issues and jurisdictions. This podcast focuses on the financial services sector in particular. I'm joined by Meredith Kotler from New York, Tom Clark from London, and Elizabeth Weber from Munich. As you'll be aware, there's a significant variation in mechanisms for handling class and mass claims, and also in the level of risk of mass claims between different jurisdictions. The US remains high risk for these claims, with a long-established track record and a record number of securities class actions in 2019, despite some recent cases that set higher criteria for class actions. In contrast to the US, where class actions have been a feature of the landscape for many years, and Europe, where the risk of mass claims is increasing, the risk of mass claims remains relatively low in the key Asian jurisdictions. In the financial services context, the picture is complicated by the presence of regulator-led redress and alternative redress mechanisms, for example through ombudsman schemes, which are likely to reduce the incidence of class and mass claims where they exist. Nevertheless, there are a number of other factors that have increased the risk of claims for financial services and other businesses in recent years, and which are likely to lead to higher exposure in the future. So, for example, firstly, jurisdictions outside of the US are developing new procedural mechanisms for handling mass claims. For example, in Germany, Netherlands and Russia, there are recently introduced new regimes. In addition, data leaks over social media, media reports of misconduct and highly publicised regulatory penalties all go together to draw the attention of potential claimants. Secondly, the claimant bar is growing and routinely using social media to publicise potential claims and pull together groups of claimants. And finally, there's been significant growth of the third-party funding industry, which has encouraged claimants to participate in litigation without a substantial upfront financial outlay for legal and other expenses. All of these add up to indicate that we aren't going to see a reduction of these types of claims at any point soon. With that brief introduction, I'd like to turn to my colleagues to comment on particular risk areas for financial services firms. Meredith, are you able to say a little about shareholder and investor claims in the U.S.? Class action and mass action claims in the United States against financial services and other companies uh, continue apace. Uh, Obviously, in the United States, we have the most sophisticated developed market, I think, for collective claims, and we've not seen any slowdown, notwithstanding the pandemic. Uh, Four quick trends that we are seeing. Uh, Number one, the continued filing of uh, investor claims after the announcement of government investigations into collusive, allegedly collusive or anti-competitive behavior in the setting of interest or exchange rates or markets for precious metals uh, or different bond markets. Those uh, announcements that are uh, of government investigations tend to trigger the filing of private class actions um, with a focus on interbank chats uh, where participants are allegedly colluding and crossing the line between what's permissible discussions uh, within a syndication of underwriters. The second trend that we're seeing, uh, and I think we will see for quite some time, is continued litigation over whether the anti-fraud provisions of the United States securities laws apply extraterritorially. The big debate now is focused on whether foreign companies whose ADRs are sold through unsponsored ADR programs can be held liable in the United States. Uh, We've been watching litigation against Toshiba out on the West Coast, where the Ninth Circuit and the District Court have held that at the pleading stage, uh, so long as someone purchases ADRs in the United States, 
uh, in the OTC market, um, Toshiba can uh, be named in a securities fraud suit, even if Toshiba did not participate um, or did not sponsor the program, so long as there can be some type of allegation that somehow they consented or participated. In the Toshiba case, the allegation is that Toshiba must have participated given the um, 55 million shares that the depository bank had in selling the uh, or in offering the unsponsored program. This is going to be a question, this extraterritorial application of the U.S. securities laws to companies um, organized abroad and whose shares trade abroad um, will be facing and fighting for quite some time. A third trend is the increase in shareholder derivative claims brought in the name of companies uh, against boards of directors of the companies, including financial services companies, for failing to adequately oversee and monitor key risks of the company. Uh, these stem from a number of cases brought originally in Delaware Chancery Court, but they're now being filed all across the country. And again, uh, companies, including financial services companies and companies not domiciled in the United States, are more and more being uh, subject to these kinds of suits. Uh, there have been a number of rulings in the New York courts in particular holding that even though the um, laws of the countries where the financial services company or other companies may be headquartered organized in, even those countries' laws such as Cayman laws or British laws either don't permit or put procedural limitations on the bringing of derivative suits. Several New York courts have found those limitations to be procedural rather than substantive and uh, disregarded them and permitted suits to be filed here in the United States. I think that's a trend we're going to see, and we may see more of those suits to come until perhaps the U.S. Supreme Court weighs in and says, uh, this just can't be happening. And the final trend, of course, is uh, to the extent companies and financial services companies are subject to the U.S. disclosure rules, um, plaintiffs are bringing securities lawsuits uh, over the adequacy of disclosures about the impact of COVID on the companies. Obviously, it remains important as ever to the extent companies are subject to the U.S. disclosure laws to ensure um, full, complete, non-boilerplate disclosures concerning impact of COVID on businesses. Tom, is it the case that there are fewer financial services class actions in the UK than we would expect? And are you able to say why that is the case and where there are potential risks for financial services firms? Thanks, Georgia. I wouldn't say there have been fewer mass claims in the financial services space in the UK as such, but there certainly hasn't been as much uh, mass litigation in the financial services space as you might otherwise expect. And a lot of that is because the UK just doesn't have a class action regime in the same way that the US does um, outside of the opt-out, opt-in regime that exists for competition cases. If claimants do want to group together, um, they can issue a multiple joint claim where they are all claimants on the same claim form, um, provided that their claims can be conveniently disposed of in the same proceedings. And they can apply for a group litigation order for claims that give rise to common or related issues of fact or law, um, or can they, they can start a representative action um, as well. Of particular interest in the financial services space is also the financial markets test case scheme um, for cases which raise issues of general importance in relation to which uh, immediately relevant authoritative English law guidance is needed, and you don't need a current course of action between the parties. Um, this scheme has 
just been used for the first time in the context of um, business interruption insurance claims in a case brought by the FCA uh, in relation to um, claims made as a result of the coronavirus uh, epidemic. Uh, and judgment was handed down just this week in that case. So now the FCA have had a taste for using um, that mechanism. It's possible we might see more of that um, in the future. But aside from the structural reasons, I think um, there are two other key reasons why perhaps mass litigation in the financial services space um, hasn't been as prevalent in the UK as you might have expected. Um, the first reason for that is because the FCA has been quite interventionalist when market-wide issues um, have arisen. They've got formal powers to compel institutions to pay redress, and of course they have the softer pressure that can be brought to bear too. Um, and over time, this has given rise to the payment of billions of pounds in redress. Uh, perhaps the biggest example of this is, of course, um, payment protection insurance, where although there was quite a bit of litigation, uh, in practice, um, a lot of redress was dealt with by firms through a specific complaints handling process that the FCA put into their rules. The second reason is that unless significant sums of money are at stake, it's often easier and cheaper for individuals and small businesses to complain to the financial institution, um, and if they are unsuccessful, to refer their claim to the Financial Ombudsman Service. Um, the FOS applies a much broader test when deciding the outcome, looking at what is fair and reasonable, and the maximum award they can make at the moment is £355,000. The emergence of claims management companies to market potential claims to consumers has also significantly fueled the financial services uh, complaints industry. So, as I said, it's not to say that there aren't um, mass claims in the UK in the financial services space. There are, and there is uh, mass litigation in this space. Um, but uh, the regulatory overlay on top of that is a really important um, aspect to take into account. Elizabeth, from your work over the last several years, you've got considerable experience of managing mass claims for financial services and other clients. And I understand from our conversations that innovation and legal technology can offer opportunities for efficiency in managing those claims. How then can we harness technology to help us handle those claims more efficiently and cost effectively? For legal tech solutions, what is particularly important is that they have to be adapted to the needs of each matter. They have to be tailor-made. The type of tax solution first of all depends on the number of claims that are to be expected and whether the claims are made in one country only or in different jurisdictions. At the same time, the tax solution should, right from the outset, be set up in a way that it can easily be adjusted if a new development comes up. For example, similar claims being filed in several other jurisdictions. The tax solution also strongly depends on the fact whether they are largely identical claims brought forward in one class action or whether there are various individual claims involved. One of the challenges with mass claims is that there are often various types of different claims and many claimant law firms with different lines of argumentations. So when working with automatic briefs, for example, you need to be able to adapt these automatic briefs to the different types of claims in a very effective way. Another challenge in connection with mass claims is the fact that nearly each claim has the potential to become the critical case, which for one reason or another receives extensive media coverage and cannot be settled. Therefore, it is particularly important to define and implement the right validation mechanisms that fit to the different types of claims involved. 
Legal tech solutions are not only important for reporting or automated briefs. There can be many other solutions, such as online platforms, for example, online settlement platforms. Another important point where legal tech can be very valuable are simulation calculations, such as the calculation of cost risks. These can be extremely helpful in preparing strategic decisions. The whole field is always developing. Innovative solutions need to be found that fit to the particular project and to the claims involved. Thank you for listening. Please do look out for other podcasts in our class and mass claims series.